Well, good morning again. So, in, um, in a recent travel from General Assembly in Memphis, I um, had a long layover in Charlotte um, for about six hours, actually. I thought to myself I could have driven home. But instead, I was stuck in the airport for six hours. Um, and uh, I was thinking, what, what should I do? So I uh, started browsing to Netflix, and I came across a movie. Um, I thought it was a great movie. And I don't know if you've seen it or not, but uh, there's no um, pressure for you to watch it. But, but I wanted to um, mention this because I think it's very relevant to what we're talking about today. Uh, the movie is called A Man Named Otto, okay? Um, Otto is played by this character. Uh, uh, Otto is played by, by this, this actor, Tom Hanks. And so Otto is depicted as a grumpy old man, a cynical, a grumpy old man who is incredibly rude to everyone he meets, to all his neighbors, to the people at the grocery stores, to uh, just about every, anyone, all right? But Otto wasn't always like that. You know, he was, used to be kind, helpful, and pleasant to all the people around him. What changes all of that? Well, what changes, what happened was that his wife was taken away from him. His wife passed away. His wife, Sonia, who was everything to him, was taken away because of cancer. And so Otto became really angry. Otto became really grumpy and frustrated and cynical. He was angry with the world. He was angry with everything. He was angry that his wife was taken away from him. And then Otto met a new neighbor in his neighborhood. She uh, encouraged him to move on. But yet I think because of that, he was, he burst into rage and he yelled at her. And he said, you know, I don't want to clear Sonia from my life. Sonia was everything to me. There was nothing before her and there was nothing after. And so Otto couldn't imagine life without her. And as the movie goes on, he tried to commit suicide a few times. And on one particular line in the movie that struck a chord for me is this. You know, he said it to, to his neighbor. I live for Sonia. I live for Sonia. In Otto's life, Sonia was his identity. When she was taken away, he lost his identity. He lost his will to survive. And I believe that the story of Otto is is um, one that is particularly relevant in, in our culture today because, why? Because, you know, we all, even though as image bearers of God who should worship God, we all somehow find ourselves a lot of times kind of mixing it up, trying to find identity in various things in life, right? We find identity in, in maybe our work or in our family or in love, you know, we, as image bearers of God, should worship God, but instead worship other things that are not God, but instead are His gifts to us. And so as we come to, to this book in Ecclesiastes, 
we see this being relevant as the preacher, Solomon himself, as he laments, as he writes, as he ponders upon life's meaning. And he comes across uh, this, this aspect where, you know, a lot of times we try to put ourselves and our focus in things that are somewhat, you know, good, but at the same time we find ourselves worshiping it. We find ourselves seeking after it, pursuing after it as our identity. You see, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 that Corey preached last week, in the first 11 verse itself, the preacher Solomon laid out a general conception that everything is vanity, and that everything is meaningless because we are pursuing it apart from God. And as we come to chapter 2 today, Solomon brings up specific examples of things that we, we pursue, that we go after. You know, one, one may argue, do we really have nothing to gain from having fun, from contributing to society, to our work, to our wisdom, to our knowledge? Is there really nothing to gain as we make progress in life? Is it all meaningless? You know, to some extent, yes. But then Solomon is not against these things. You know, rather he's saying that everything is vanity because it does not produce the kind of results that we're hoping for. And so as we look at, at chapter 2, at parts of chapter 1 and chapter 2, you know, I want to offer three reflections for us to consider. But first, I'm going to talk about our life's pursuit we are truly honest with ourselves, if we're really honest with ourselves, you know, we would argue that man's ultimate pursuit is happiness. You know, man's ultimate pursuit in life is to be happy. We all want to be happy. We all seek after happiness. You know, we will do everything in our power to find happiness in life. And you think about all the products that are out there that are vibing for for happiness, basically. You know, every single ad, commercial that you watch is essentially the same. You know, it's telling you how great our product is. It's trying to tap into your pursuit of meaning and happiness. You know, if we have the latest phone, we will truly be happy. If we have this particular car, we will be happy. And sometimes we find our happiness not only in things that we buy, right, but also the places that we go. I've mentioned this before, but uh, Disney World's tagline is dubbed the happiest place on earth. If you go to Disney World, you'll be the happiest person in life because it is the happiest place on earth. And then there's also the point where sometimes our happy place is more subtle, right? Like perhaps, you know, when your kids are yelling and screaming their heads off, all you want to do is to take a long shower or bath and to drown yourselves from all the noise. That's your happy place. And still others find happiness in binge watching. Maybe, you know, we just want to watch this uh, series because it's so good and it makes me happy. Or perhaps stress eating because it, it makes me happy to just eat and to take my mind off of whatever that's happening out there. So my point is that everything we do points towards building or gaining happiness 
in life, which is what Solomon is telling us here. You see, Solomon, he sets out to explore what the world has to offer and to find what is good for mankind. He sets out to find his purpose in life that will make him happy. And so he gives himself to various things, to wisdom, pleasure, comedy, alcohol, work, and various possessions, in, in accumulating various possessions such as slaves, cattle, treasures, entertainers, and concubines. He went from one thing to another. And each one, though, seemed promising at first, but eventually his happiness does not last. He's back to where he was in the beginning, and it's all too frustrating for him, which indicates by the constant refrain that this too is vanity. But let's dive deeper into his pursuits. Let's see where, where you know, as he searched for these things, let's see what, what is really troubling his heart. You know, he starts out with wisdom. So Solomon, the preacher, puts himself to vigorous studies to gain knowledge and wisdom. We see this in, at the end of, of chapter 1. You know, he went perhaps to, to the best school in Jerusalem at that time to study for hours, to participate in all kinds of discussions, to take all kinds of courses, equip himself not just with the understanding of wisdom and sanity, but also learning about the opposites, madness and folly. He has all the uh, certificates and the credentials to prove how wise and how smart he is. He has all those things that one can only hope for. But in the end, he's just as unhappy as he said. He's just as unhappy as the fool, as the one who has never acquired wisdom or knowledge. Now, you've probably heard this before, or maybe you've lived through it, you know, that if you get into the best school, study hard so that you can get the best job out there, study hard so that you'll be successful, so that eventually you will become happy. We've heard all of that before, haven't we? Unfortunately for Solomon, the wisest man in the world, he will tell you that that is not true at all. This sums up his sobering lament in, in chapter 1, verse 18. He said, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge only increases in sorrow. Despite of how smart he is, he still feels miserable. He is in sorrow because it does not bring happiness to him. And then if education is not the way to gain happiness, Solomon decides to take the next thing. He went to the route of entertainment, to comedy, to alcohol. And it's often said that laughter is said to be good medicine. If we laugh, it is good medicine for us. And I agree, we all need a good laugh. We all need to laugh to brighten the day you know, and laughter does create momentary happiness. But however, we also know that sometimes our pursuit of laughter comes as a means to escape the painful reality that we're in. You know, in extreme situations, the escapists often mask sorrow with laughter and jokes instead of lamenting and mourning. 
in such a situation does not make laughter a good medicine. You know, if something is going on in your life, sometimes we're good at trying to mask it. Sometimes we're good at trying to, to tune it out. You know, we try to make jokes about things. We try to laugh over things. But that's not good medicine. Instead, we're called to lament. We're called to mourn. That's why this is madness. And as with alcohol, we have another example of escapism. You know, drowning our sorrows with alcohol is the route that many will take if laughter does not cut it. What good does it do? Nothing. It numbs us temporarily. It takes our mind away from, from what is painful, but the problem still exists the next morning. And then when entertainment and alcohol can bring happiness, the preacher, Solomon, again continues searching for more. This time he turns to work. He fills himself with, with projects after projects, building all kinds of things, hoping that recognition, perhaps, will make him happy. Then he went towards accumulating possessions. The preacher fills his heart with all kinds of possessions, treasures, entertainers, and concubines. You know, as the king of Israel, Solomon was not only known to be a man of wisdom, but sadly, he was also known as a man of many wives and concubines. You know, if Solomon was alive today, he would easily top the Forbes list of the wealthiest and most influential person of the time. You know, the sky is the limit for him, and everything he wants, he gets. As he recounts in verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And so at the end of the day, Solomon the preacher confesses that all was vanity, chasing after wind. You know, every corner he turns to find pleasures and happiness on these various things, but yet they are like chasing after the wind, chasing after trivial pursuits, chasing after emptiness. And as he, as he runs after these things, they don't last. And so this is why we continuously read that, that in this refrain, it is also vanity for him. And so Solomon here depicts this assumption, this underlining assumption that we all have, you know, that we all seek after happiness, but yet we try to search for these things. We try to pursue, pursue these things that God has given to us out there, and yet we fail. We fail to find happiness. And next, Solomon points to our life's problem. You know, Solomon had it all. The fame, the wealth, the wisdom, the possession, and yet he concludes that none of these things can satisfy, satisfy or bring lasting happiness that we long for. But here's the thing. You know, this is where he's telling us this is where our problem is too. And not only does this thing not, do these things not satisfy us, we also have another problem. There is a dark shadow that lurks around us, bringing a reality, a reality to what is our greatest problem in life, and that is death. Now, Zach Aswine in his commentary said, death 
is the trump card upon all these pleasures under the sun. It is not that they aren't enjoyable. They are. But laughter, alcohol, art, nature, money, possessions, power cannot stop death from coming. Even if we are wise and we avoid using the good things of this world as if we avoid using the good things of this world as substitute saviors, even our being wise about it cannot bring us the gain that we need. And this brings us to Solomon's point in verse 14. He said, A wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fools, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. What Solomon is telling us is that death comes for all people. Death comes for all of us, regardless of how wise and how wealthy you are. Death came for Sonia. Remember in the story, in the movie, death came for Sonia. So death comes for all of us, as, as Solomon is telling us. This is one of the problems. This is our problem that we have. Another perspective that Solomon saw in death is obscurity. You know, verse 16 says, For as the wise, for of the wise as the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have long be forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. And so given time, at the end of the day, the memory of who you are will long be forgotten. People will not remember who you are. The memories of you will, will grow dimmer and dimmer, will fade dimmer and dimmer at the end of the day. And here's the thing. If this does not sound depressing, Solomon contends to another point that he thinks about death is that death alters your perspective on what is truly yours, which is nothing. Death tells you that there's nothing that is truly yours. So not only does death does de come to all, not only does death renders us all obscure, death also takes away everything. Which is why he, he concluded in, in, in verse 20 to 21, so I turned about and gave up my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. You know, everything we work so hard for in this world, all our accomplishments, all our accumulated wealth will all be passed to someone because we can't take anything with us into the grave. And who is to say that the person that's being passed to will take care of it? Who is to say that this person will develop it into something better? We don't know. That's why it is futility. It is vanity. Perhaps you are unfazed or by the thought of death simply because maybe you are young, right? Or perhaps you don't want to think about it because it's too depressing. We all do that sometimes. You know, you are trained by, by our culture today to eat, drink, and be merry, to enjoy life to the fullest without thinking about anything that is negative. Anything that is negative, we should push it away. We should drown it. We should flush it out, especially death. Don't think about it. 
And this is all too common. You know, as Blaise Pascal argued that as men have not been able to cure death, misery, and, or ignorance, they have taken to not thinking about them so as to become happy. You know, we refuse to think about death by filling our lives with other things, things that will distract or divert ourselves. And in Solomon's days, these things have been wisdom, laughter, work, possessions. But guess what? In our time, not much has changed. We still look to these things to give us happiness, to distract us from what we don't want to think about death. You know, these things are like bubbles to insulate us from the reality of death. You know, death is like a sinkhole in, in our house where we, pre- we pretend that it does not exist. Huh? Right? We pretend that it does not exist by avoiding it or maybe trying to find something to occupy in our mind so that we don't see it. Or perhaps even, you know, we uh, try to cover it with a rug so that we don't think about it. But it's still there. It's still there. Death is coming. And that is what Solomon is telling us. Death comes for us all. We can't run away from it. And that is our life's problem. And finally, as Solomon meditates through this, he comes to this final conclusion, our new perspective. You know, the preacher's point, Solomon's point is simply not to forgo our knowledge or wisdom or pleasures in life, all comedy, all work, because they are vanity. He's saying that these are good things, but the problem is us. You know, we're trying to use these things to control our own destiny, to find meaning in life, to find happiness. And so, but yet Solomon tells us that we need a new perspective to understand these things in light of death and God. He's not saying that these things are bad in his own. They are good things. But yet, as we indulge ourselves in these things, we need a new perspective. We need a new perspective about death. We need a new perspective because of death. We need a new perspective because we have a God that we worshiped. And so notice at the end of chapter, of the end of this chapter in, chap, uh, in chapter 2, Solomon began to understand. Verse 24 to 26 said, you know, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat, who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after win. <coughs> Solomon understood that only God can give joy and satisfaction and happiness in life as he meditates to all these things, as he went and experienced it himself, he found emptiness. He found vanity in these things. And so at the end of the day, he understood that only God can give us joy and satisfaction and happiness in life. And even everything that we pursue, as Solomon said, has been given by God. God is finally mentioned at the end of this chapter. 
You know, everything that we pursue in life has been given by God. But in order for us to enjoy these things, we need to pursue God. Happiness comes not by our own pursuit of things, but rather by receiving the things that God has given to us. Let me, let me say this again. Happiness comes not by our own pursuit of things, but rather by receiving the things that God has given to us. You know, and at the same time, because of death, we see things, while they are good and provide happiness from God, yet they are temporary. You know, death comes for us all and death takes it all away. But as depressing as it may sound, I would argue that Solomon's point on death is far from being something that makes our present life pointless. Rather, death in Solomon's mind is actually a light that shines on the present to change our perspective, to live better. Death is Solomon's needle to burst a bubble, to tell us that wake up. Wake up from, from your slumber. Wake up from trying to search for, for all these things that, that may be good, but yet they do not last. Wake up. So death, I would argue, is actually a good thing to remind us, to give us a perspective of life on earth. It does not render our life meaningless. Death can radically enable us to enjoy life presently. If you, I don't know if you, if you have had a near-death experience in your life. You know, I, I had when, in my early age when I was, when I think that I'm invincible, right? When I think that I can do anything in life. So um, I remember one time when um, I was traveling in, in after college, I was involved in a Christian uh, organization where we sail across the world, around the world. So I was in Jamaica, and uh, we went for a hike into this beautiful waterfall. And so one of my friends, you know, kind of laid out there and challenged, like, hey, you know what would be cool? If we would just climb up the tree and just jump into the water, that would be so cool. And so no one else did, but I did. All right? No one else decided to climb up, but I did. And so I went to climb on this tree, trying to, to jump into the water. But as I was up there, I slipped, and I fell. And when I fell, I did not remember anything that happened after that. So I fell into the water, and then after about a, a couple of minutes, um, I began to regain some consciousness, and my friend told me, he's like, oh my gosh, you know what happened? You almost fell onto this massive rock next to the water. But instead, somehow you ended up in the water. I was like, this is, this is incredible. This is like a miracle that happened. You escaped death. I was like, really? <laughs> wow, I didn't know anything. I was just foolish. But yet, you know, in, in that moment, it, it changes something in my life. You know, if, if you have a near-death experience in your life, you realize that something powerful happens after. You have a different perspective of life. You know, you realize how grateful you are to be alive. You realize how life can be fleeting. And in some sense, death or near-death experience gives you a, a, 
a renewed desire to live better, to do something better with your life. And similarly, you know, as, as Solomon is telling us, when we learn to accept death in a profound way, that reality can help us to take the pleasure of this world, not with a closed fist, but with an open palm. You know, we can learn to enjoy them as they truly are to us, as God's gift to us, rather than what we need from them to make us happy. You know, David Gibson, in his commentary, echoes this sentiment. He said, death reorients us to our limitations as creatures and help us to see God's good gifts right in front of us all the time, each and every day of our lives. And instead of using this gifts as means to a greater end of securing ultimate gain in the world, we take time to live inside these gifts themselves and to see the hand of God in them. What he's saying is that God has given you these gifts for you to enjoy. These gifts are meant for you to enjoy, not meant for you to seek meaning out of it. These are the happiness that God has given to you. You do not have to Search for it. God has given to you. Embrace it. Take it. What we need is a new perspective to think through the things that God has given to us to be enjoyed. You know, practically speaking, let's take some of these things for example. When it comes to our work, when it comes to work, you know, we find it as a means sometimes to earn a living, to make progress, to gain significance, and to gain success in life. But what if that is not how God intended work to be? What if work is His gift to us to help us live out our calling, to be faithful by being excellent in what we do? What, is work, what if work is His gift to us? to call us to be generous by serving others with our work. Work isn't just our means to, to gain success in this life. Work isn't just our means to gain happiness, to climb the corporate ladder. Work is God's gift to you to learn to be faithful, to learn to be generous, and just like work, when we think about food, what if God's purpose in giving us food is beyond just sustenance and nourishment? What if he meant to teach us to be grateful? We did not earn anything for, for our food. Yes, maybe we, we could participate in, 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 in um, making food, but yet ultimately God is the one that provides the sun. God is the one that, that makes things grow. And what if God is teaching us through food that he wants us to be grateful, to be generous? You know, so much of our lives is lived to leverage people and things that God has given to us for our own benefit and purpose. But God doesn't want us to live in this manner. He calls us to stop trying to control life, but instead enjoy life as a gift from God. And one final point here. And as we enjoy, enjoy God's gift in this world, 
At the same time, we also must lament at the impermanence of it. You know, the fall showed us how far our world is from God's design in Eden. You know, when God created Eden, it was perfect, it was beautiful. God provided everything for Adam and Eve. God gave them gifts that they could enjoy and live. But yet when the fall happened, God's gift, while it is great for us, yet it does not last. Everything that he has given to us for us to enjoy in this world does not really last. And so we must lament through it. We, we live through corruption and brokenness. We live through sicknesses and frustrations and dissatisfaction. Death comes for us all because of sin. But death is not the end of us all because there is hope beyond the grave. You know, all our temporary enjoyment and happiness in this world points to a world to come, that there's ultimate joy and happiness through Jesus Christ. And in Christ, he has dealt with death so that death is not our final answer. You know, he died for us so that we can have life eternal with him. And in time, Jesus will return for us all. Jesus will return for us all. And death and sin will be no more. And so all of life is vanity unless we learn to pivot ourselves, as, as, unless we learn to reorient ourselves to pursue God, to understand who God is to us, to understand our, our purpose in this world, but yet to understand that all things that we have, while it is good, may not last. And only God himself can ultimately give us a true satisfaction and happiness in this world. And he will, and he has, in fact, to Jesus Christ. So let's look to Christ and look to his return that makes all things new again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, for the wise words of Solomon. Lord, as we continue to navigate through this book Lord there's so much that we can learn about life learn about the futility of our own efforts learn about just how fleeting life can be and, and the fact that death is always looking around but yet Lord you have called us not to be afraid of death as believers you have called us to know that death is not the end of us all and even in our pursuit of searching happiness lord ultimately you have provided for us in christ that in christ we will find true happiness and in christ you know there's lasting happiness as he comes as he returns to bring us into his presence where there will be no more death no more suffering no more pain no more sorrows and only joy in him and so i thank you for this reminder help us lord as we continue navigate through our life to to accept your gifts as enjoyment in our lives not as a means of trying to gain more happiness help us to receive your gifts as they truly are help us to learn to be grateful and to enjoy these things lord we ask all this in jesus name amen